Hello, fellow dirt bikers and friends. Welcome to the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast, co-hosted by me, Corndog, and my good buddy, Eric. We want to thank you for joining us on this podcast. On the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast, we talk dirt bikes. (laughs) Yes, dirt bikes. We talk about our experiences, different races, different organizations, bikes, gear, and always try to get a fun and exciting guest to join in with us. Now, grab a drink, kick your feet up, lean back, hold on, because here we go. Here's Corndog and Eric. Hey everybody, how's it going? We are back, episode 6 of the Desert Dirt Biker, May 13th, 2020. We are excited for our great show tonight. First off, Eric, my co-host, um, we want to thank all our listeners. It's, we're, we're pretty stoked, we're pretty blown away. Almost 800 plays and in five countries. Yeah, we've had some good feedback from people giving us messages on Facebook and, and text and stuff, so that's super cool. Thank you guys. Um, we're here tonight with our guest, Rob Phillips. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for having me. Rob Phillips, yeah. Uh, Utah boy, now lives in Nevada, but uh, raced a lot of USRA, Best in the Desert, National Hare and Hound, Enduro Cross, a little bit of Moran, and some qualifiers and stuff, so I'm excited because I don't really know Rob, so I'm excited to learn his story and learn about Utah and some of these other things. Yeah, we've had a couple of comments on Facebook saying, you know, they're excited to, to hear Rob's story and, you know, that that's one bad dude. So we're uh, looking forward to the show and we'll just jump into it. So Rob, tell us a little bit about you and, and how you got started in off-road and, and desert riding. Well, I I got a late start at racing. I started out, I started riding motorcycles when I was four years old. My family all rode, my dad rode. I had uncles that rode all the time and we just never really raced. And when I turned 19, I raced a few motocrosses. And when I turned 21, the week of the Rhino Rally, my dad went and bought a DR350 and I had a, well, I was on an RM125 and he just said, let's go race the Rhino Rally this weekend. He bought the bike on Wednesday, and we signed up that Friday and went and did our first <laughs> desert race. I signed up in the novice class, had no idea what we were doing, what we were in for. We all thought 50 miles didn't sound that bad. We Where, what year was this? That was in 1997. And that was the Rhino Rally. Tell us a little bit about the Rhino Rally. Well, the Rhino Rally, I remember as a little kid going out and watching it being from St. George and that the local race, I just remember that was like the race for me. And then in 96, we actually went and watched it and Dustin Hedman won it and Russ Pearson took second behind him at that one. And I don't know, that was just always the cool race to me because it was the local race. Grew up watching it. And I remember when Dustin came in leading that race in 96, he was just, he was coming through whoops and he didn't look like he was going past. Obviously he was, he was like 10 minutes ahead of Russ, but (laughs) it just didn't look like it. And I thought, I think I could do that, you know? So not having any idea how good of a rider he really was, but we came back in 97 and raced it in the novice class. And 
it was kind of a funny story because none of us had ever raced obviously and we're only doing one loop so my wife and my mom and my brother's wife because me and my dad and my brother were racing it they all dropped us off and they went shopping and figured <laughs> figured they'd be back in time for us at the finish and so the club actually kind of screwed up because novice was only supposed to do one loop so they actually sent me out on the second loop and then i got back in the pits and nobody's there didn't know what to do didn't finally a half an hour after i finished the wife and my mom showed back up I'm like oh we're sorry we thought we'd be back in time but <laughs> it's kind of funny oh man cool so you're from St. George. You got a, you got a little bit late start racing. Tell us about your first bike, or what? How come you got your first bike? Well, I don't know where my first bike really came from. I just know we had a little Suzuki 50 that I was riding. I remember my mom actually starting it for me when I was in kindergarten. When I'd get out of school, <laughs> she'd start it so I could go ride. And then after that, we had a neighbor that had an old xr80 like a 81 or 82 xr80 and he told me the motor was blown up in it so he said if you give me 20 bucks you can have it well nice. i think he knew it ran so we took it home and got it started up it had just sat a while and i rode that thing for a long time and really my first real bike was a yz250 nice. and 1988 yz250 that's before they were blue right yeah it was white and red white and red yeah, cool. Yep. So you just like a weekend warrior all the time, riding your dad rode, family yep. rode. Yeah, we rode. We'd go when we'd go camping. We'd take motorcycles. We chased a lot of coyotes on motorcycles. Just a lot of stuff like that. We grew up on the north side of town, so we were actually out of St. George a little bit and a lot of places to ride. That's just what we did every day. We went and rode motorcycles, and it was fun. We were we were fortunate enough to live there and be able to do it, so it was really a good time. That's that's cool. I I wish I would have started that young. I was old. Um. So. Twenty one years old, you do your first race, the uh, what was it, the Rhino Rally, and is that like? I'm going to refer back to Moran. Is it like an organization that has a bunch of clubs in it? In each club do the races? Yeah, yeah. So that that race is put on by the Wizards. That's the only race of the year that the Wizards do. And they've done it, I think 1983 was the first year they've done it. They mm -hmm. did that race and they've done it every year since. So. And is it one of the most attended races for USRA or is it like one of the bigger? Yes, the year, first year I raced it in 97, they had 604 big bikes wow. in the race. Well, there's a lot of BLM restrictions in that area, and um, one one year the club decided to sign a paper so they could keep putting on the race that they would never allow over 300 big bikes in it. So they actually put out their flyer, and within two weeks, it's, it's sold out. You can't get into the race. Wow. And they have they normally have over 150 people on a waiting list too. So I know if they were to open it back up, they could get over 600 big bikes in it. But I can't even fathom that. It's yeah. crazy. This last year, I don't remember exact numbers, but they had their full 300 in the big bikes, but they had over 200 minis in the race too. Holy cow. That's huge. Yeah. I've always wanted to go and do it, but I've always had a race in another series or something else was going on. But 
Wow. How, how many miles is that? Is it a, a couple loop la uh, race? Yeah, they usually do two loops and usually the first one they have around 50. The second one is 30 to between 30 and 50, usually around 40 miles. And it's that terrain down there is really difficult. A lot of varying terrain. You know, I was talking to Lee Pearson about it the other day and he said that that was a race he always wanted to win. And he said, it was always really hard to set up the bikes because you got to set up for sand whoops. You got to set up for rocks. There's a lot of black rock, a lot of really high speed rock stuff. So mm. he said, we always really struggled with what to do suspension wise to try to make the bike work in that terrain. So, um, early on in your racing careers, what's something that you learned as you developed as a rider? Um, early on in your career that helped you throughout the rest of your career? Um, I don't know. I, I raced just for fun more than anything. And I had, I had a kid before I ever raced. So it was hard for me to be too serious about it. I was running a plumbing company, raising a family. So I just rode because I liked to ride motorcycles and the competition was really fun. So after the first race at the Rhino Rally, I swore I was never racing one of those again. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. I, man, I was so beat. I was so tired. And the next weekend or two weekends later, I'm in Panaka. That was my second race. Huh. Was, was that a Moran race? It was a Moran race. And what's the club that puts on the race right down here? SNDR. It was the SNDR race. Okay. <laughs> yep, that was my second race, and that's actually where I met Dave. Dave and I battled that race, and he was racing novice at the time. And Dave I, Pearson? Yeah, and I can't remember who won. He probably beat me, I don't know, but <laughs> that's where I actually met him. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. so, like the rest of us, you were hooked. Yeah, yeah, the first few races I kept swearing that I wasn't doing another race, and so I ended up, that year I ended up racing four novice races and it was the battle of the borders year. So Moran and Utah teamed up for four races, the Rhino Rally, that SNDR race, Cherry Creek and the Caliandi race. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was the battle of the borders and I raced those four races and I ended up winning two or three of the novices overall novice. So, I actually decided after that I was just going to take my dad's DR and try expert and I did all right on it and I I think I finished seventh my first expert race and then we ended up going to a national and pro cycle in St. George asked me if I wanted to ride a KTM in the first national that I'd ever done so I went up and rode the ktm 620 left side kickstart the whole thing the first right my first national that was my first year racing and i had no idea what a national was i mean was we had the national hare and hound yeah national hare and hound and it was up at wendover i had no idea what a national was i just i just watched a few usra races and raced a few of them by then but i think the end of the first loop i came in like i think i was third or fourth overall and like I said, no idea. I think Russ Pearson was right behind me that first lap. 
But anyways, I ended up fading on a big bike, not knowing what I was doing, but I ended up finishing 11th overall, so. Wow. Yeah, that that's pretty cool. So so how old were you at that, at that time? 21. 21, okay. Yep. And that was your first first expert year? That first was. Year that was my first class. year racing, and okay. I moved from novice to expert my first year. Okay, that's cool. phenomenal. That's pretty good. I heard you were pretty... Uh, Quite a legend or whatever you want to call it. Probably use other words that I've heard. <laughs> but we won't say that on here. <laughs> um, so you did a National Hare and Hound. You did some USRA brand. Uh, where did you go from there? Well, we I finished out 97 and 98, just mainly USRA and whatever nationals were a Utah race too, I would do, but then... Were you hitting every race or just kind of hit just, and miss as... Just hit and miss. I think in 98, I was the number one four-stroke for USRA, and I don't remember really, but... And then 99, we started building the house, so I really cut back. I just raced a few races here and there, and then in, uh, golly, I think it was 99, Burt Bradford from Spanish Fork called me and he said, Hey, do you want to race the Tonopah 300 with me? I didn't know who Bert was. I'd, he had seen me at a couple of races and he actually asked Dustin Hedman to race it. And Dustin told him yes. And then like a week before it called him and said he couldn't do it. And so he called me like on Tuesday, the week before the race and said, I've got everything set up. You just show up with your gear and Tonopah. So that was the first place I met Bert, and that's who I did most of the best in the desert races with. And from there, we raced from, I think it was 99 that we did that race. I think we raced just about every best in the desert until 2005, mm-hmm. wow. him and I. And who who's Bert? Tell us who Bert is. He's, he's a USRA rider. Okay. He's, like I said, he's from Spanish Fork. Just, we got to be really good friends. We messed around a lot of the races. We, him and I had a really good time. I mean, in the later years of racing, he would come over. Like I remember up at the Knolls one year, he comes over and he doesn't say anything to me. I'm on the line, all of our bikes, you know, on the line. And he walks over and just looks at me and then turns and looks at my line and turns back and shrugs his shoulders and walks back over to his bike. And then a minute later, he comes back over looks at my line again and then turns around, looks at me face to face and gets down and starts doing push-ups in front of me and then gets back up and walks back over to his bike. And the best part about it was him and I were pretty serious competitors, but we were like best friends. And uh, all of the guys behind us were just like, they couldn't believe that he was doing it. It was, it was just so funny because a lot of novice guys and the young kids look up to the faster riders, obviously. Oh, yeah. And I, I had one guy come up to me and said, it's so fun to see you guys playing with each other like that because everybody thinks you're so serious about winning a race. You know, which we were pretty serious about winning a race, but we also had a lot of fun doing it. So, fun. Yeah. Yeah. We did a Wendover race. I don't remember. It was it had to be like 06 or 07. And uh, I got the whole shot and got out to a pretty good lead, and I got up on a hill, and I looked back, and I could see that Bert was in second. So I stopped and I told Bert, I said, let's tie at the finish. And he said, all right. So we kind of rode side by side. Well, actually we hadn't agreed to tie yet. We rode side by side and we went into the alternate gas 
and him and I were sharing a dump can at the alternate gas. <laughs> so he fuels before me. Well, while I'm there waiting for my dump can, third place comes up and doesn't pit, and he leaves in first. Bert leaves in second, and I still have to fuel up. So I go from leading the race and screwing around, and now I'm in third place. So <laughs> I panicked a little bit, and I rode my butt off. Ended up getting them both back and led through the pits and got back out on the second loop. It was only a two-loop race, and I could see that Bert was in second and that we'd had a pretty good lead. So I stopped again, and that we were... 10 miles from the finish. I said, let's tie at the finish. And he says, all right. So we just rode together, came across the line and tied for the overall. And it, man, it threw everybody for a loop at the finish line. They didn't know what to do with points. They didn't know what to do with the trophy. So I finally just told him, I said, give Bert the trophy, let him have the overall points. It didn't matter, you know, but it was, it was a lot of fun. I can imagine. (laughs) So... So best in the desert, um, you won some best in the desert overall championships. We won the four stroke pro championship one or two years. I can't remember for sure. We had some pretty good races. We, we finished, I think our best is a third overall at a best in the desert. I know we had a lot of fourths overalls and got to battle with some pretty good riders. It was, it was a lot of fun. Best in the desert's. It's it's good racing, it's man. Fun. It's fast and it can yeah. be scary at times, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. Cool. So now you're racing expert. You go on all these other deals. Uh, you did some qualifiers too, right? ISDE. Yeah, I did ISD twice. We went to Ohio to a qualifier, Bert was trying to qualify to go to the ISD. So his dad decided to take the Rocky mountain trailer and pull it to Ohio for us. And we flew in and by the time we got there, he had stuff ready for us to go. And it was actually really a different race. They were, we were at the riders meeting the day before it. And the guy's telling us it's dusty. He said, it's, it's really dusty, be ready for dust and all this stuff. And I think there was one place in the two days that I actually saw dust. It was a <laughs> muddy mess. I didn't gear my bike down. I'm still running my 1448 that I rented the desert. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was a mess. It was, but it was really a different kind of race and getting our bikes prepped for it. They were telling us you have to have a working tail light and a brake light. So I think, I think I was, you did a toggle switch light. Dave Pearson. No, I didn't. I think I was, I'm trying to think if I was on the KX. I think I was on a KX 450 at the time, and uh, I didn't know how to get a brake light to work. So we just put a light on the back and uh, Pro Cycle at the time, they're now Rocky Mountain MC. They uh, wired it up for me, so I just had a light on the back. We were stressed out about if I was going to pass tech, if I was going to be able to ride or not. And we get there, and there's guys with a piece of red tape on their back fender as their tail light oh. and we went through all of this getting lights set up and stuff you know but <laughs> that was really a different kind of race i mean it was if you ever have a chance to go back and do something like that it's a lot of fun yeah it's different riding back there i've had the opportunity to ride in oklahoma and uh missouri some woods riding and stuff but just 
the dirt's different. The <clears throat> yeah, you get those. You get the, the roots that are out of the ground, and it's slick and. Yeah, it's, it's different than the West Coast stuff for sure. Well, but, yeah, <clears throat> but fun. A lot of fun. So tell us some some of your um, who supported you in your racing as you started to get fast and and start winning stuff. So. Like I said, the first year I moved right into expert and for that first national pro cycle actually offered the KTM for me to try out at that race. And uh, Brent Kirk owned pro cycle at the time and he helped me out a lot getting started. And Brent Kirk is now fast heads in St. George. He does four stroke heads all over the world. So really, really good at what he does too. But he was a big part of getting me started. And then uh, Tad Gomerick owned a shop, I think, in Ogden. And he sold that and moved down to St. George and ended up buying ProCycle from Brent. And Tad was just, he's a really good mechanic, was really good to take care of me. I could bring a bike in at any time, and he would just put everything aside and take care of my bike, get it ready for me for a race or whatever we needed. And they helped me out a lot with getting support from the factories and helped me out with setting up stuff like that. They were really good. And then Rocky Mountain came on just a little bit later. They were, uh, it was 2000, I think, when Rocky Mountain really started helping me out and really started pushing and things and forward. And that's the Rocky Mountain ATVMC.com or whatever. Yes. Called, right? The online dealer. And I mean, they have some some stores too but yeah so they they own the store in st george and then they own a dealership i i think out in price i'm not sure but but yeah it's rocky mountain atv mc they're they were really good i mean they they helped pay for a lot of the stuff helped us out with gear i mean the arc gear we were about the first ones to ride with that and they would send us gear we gave. I remember at one of the Moran races, they were doing giveaways at the front, and we do, at the start of the race, and we donated a full set of ARC gear for them. And you know, they were huge in in any off road, not just for me, but for any of the clubs or anything that needed somebody to step up. And they were big. Yeah, that's awesome for companies that are you know invested in off road and riding, and and for those guys to step up, that's awesome. It's nice to see a company of that size now still helping out the smaller race series. Like like at the Rhino Rally, we do an awards banquet now. Well, they always have the night of, after the race and give out trophies and stuff like that. And they give away tons and tons of stuff, and Rocky Mountain donates almost all of it. There is mm-hmm. quite a few other sponsors that step up and help out too, but they're the main sponsor of all the giveaways and all of that. Awesome. Um, so what was your favorite bike that you raced or rode? Um, that's hard to say. My favorite bike right now to ride is my Husky 701. But <laughs> back in the day racing, I really liked the KTM 252 stroke. I did, did really well on it. A lot of guys preferred the 300. I liked the 250 better. I just like the power and stuff. What, the way. what years were you on that bike? I rode a 252-stroke 03 and 04 off and on. 04 mainly the full year I rode the 250. 
03, I was on some four strokes, but, and then 05, I was on the 525, but I think that 250 two stroke, and then 06, I moved to Kawasaki, and I really liked the KX450. It worked really well for me. Yeah, that was kind of the era when the transition to 450s, the, the Yamaha 426, mm -hmm. and then the 450s all came out. Uh, 03, 04, 05, so yep. that transition. And did you feel like you had to make that transition to a four-stroke to to compete, or is, was it just kind of what what made your decision to transition over? Um, well, so what happened is 04, I won the 250 Heron Hound Championship, and I really wanted to ride a 250 again in 05. And KTM actually sent me 525s to ride, and I didn't want to ride 525s. So we had 525s that we raced best in the desert and stuff on, but I didn't want to do the Heron Hounds on them, and I didn't want to do USRA on them. So somewhere between 05 and 06, we contacted Kawasaki, and they ended up setting me up with a pretty decent deal to get some 450s. So that's when I decided... I mean, I didn't make the decision to go to four strokes. It was kind of made for me. It was either I buy my bikes for full price or I can ride a four stroke for a really good deal, you know? Right. So <laughs> yeah. it was kind of made for me. <laughs> okay. The four strokes were definitely getting to be an advantage, especially around 05, 06 in the Heron Hounds. You know, we'd go down to Lucerne and I was on the 250 and out in those big flats and stuff. The 250 just didn't have it. I think that they would run with them but they just weren't as stable. Mm -hmm. You know, I could make up some time in the tight stuff, but not out on the flats. Yeah, makes sense. All right, I'm going to ask a question. Do you ever race Baja? I'm stuck on a Baja thing. I never did. No. I had opportunities. I had quite a few guys ask mm -hmm. if I'd go race with them. Dave Pearson in 07 asked me if I'd come down and be a rider for, their, for the KTM team just... If they have somebody injured or the bike goes down, they would fly me in to get on the bike to take it to the next pit. And my wife drew the line at the border. She <laughs> said, you are not racing in Mexico. We, we'd gone down quite a few times and watched races and stuff, and she just felt like it was too dangerous. And I just told her, if that's all you're going to keep me from racing, that's fine with me. I don't, I don't need to go down and do it, so... But you did go down as pit support or just spectator? Just spectating. I'd be happy even with that. But. We used to go down to San Felipe when I was a kid and stay in a cabin on the beach down there around the time of the San Felipe 250. And so we'd go watch it. But yeah, she definitely drew the line. I mean, there was guys that some of the Utah guys really wanted me to go down and be on their team. They were offering me some pretty decent stuff to go down and ride with them. And I just... I told him it would end my racing career if I went down there. I'd, yeah. I'd be done. So you got to make, make the family happy. Yeah, and it, it wasn't worth it. If she wasn't happy with it, she was a huge support in all the racing stuff. So if she didn't feel like I should go, I wasn't going. Good enough. Wise decision. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> before the show, or before we hit record, you've mentioned Dave Pearson a few times. Um, you told us a Dave Pearson story earlier. We got to hear it. Dave's probably going to kick our butt or call us about this, but 
<laughs> yeah, he was... it, it's a good example. Maybe maybe we could turn this into the tip of the show or something. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So I've got quite a few good Dave Pearson stories. But... Well, let's hear them. So Dave, Dave and I got to be really good friends. I met Dave at the SNDR race, my second race ever, and we were both racing novice. We battled a little bit, so we got to know each other there. From there. Dave would come to my house in St. George a lot and ride motorcycles with me. We'd go during the week. We'd just take off and slough work and go ride. So when I finally moved out here, we decided to go riding up north of Peoch. And when we got up there, I always keep my gloves in my helmet. So I got my helmet out and I didn't have any gloves in it. So I asked Dave, I said, do you have an extra set of gloves? I aren't in my helmet. And he you have to know Dave. He lectured me about checking all of my stuff and making sure everything was ready to go. And come on, gave, bud. <laughs> come on, bud. Yeah. <laughs> gave me all sorts of crap about it. And then I, I took off and went and rode for a minute and came back and Dave still wasn't on his bike. And I hollered at him and he was hum-hawing around the truck, looking around and stuff. So I took off riding again and here comes Dave out with no helmet on, just goggles on. He'd forgotten, left his helmet, <laughs> helmet at home after a big lecture about my gloves. <laughs> Come on, bud. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I'll tell you another story about Dave. So Uh-oh. ATK Motorcycles is a company out of northern Utah. And honestly, I don't even know if they make bikes anymore. But when I was racing, they were making bikes their four strokes actually made it had a rotax air-cooled engine in them but so i got to know the guy that owned it frank white i got to know him pretty well and uh he called me one day they actually bought cannondale's motorcycles when cannondale started making motorcycles and couldn't make it happen atk bought all of their stuff so atk had a few of the old cannondale's and Frank asked me if I would try racing one of them for him. So Frank brought me a couple of bikes, and Dave and I went out to test them. And Dave was on his KTM. I was on the Cannondale, and we were south of St. George. And we were riding a trail where we came down a really nasty hill, and you had to turn right at the bottom and go back up because at the bottom was about a 15-foot edge. And when I turned to go back up, I stalled the bike. Well, they were electric start only. And the bike wouldn't start. We ran the battery dead trying to start it. So there's no way we were pushing up this hill. It was up through some real nasty stuff. So Dave came up with this great idea. (laughs) Why don't you... I hope Frank doesn't listen to this. (laughs) Why don't you... uh, Why don't I take my bike and I'll ride around to the bottom. And I'll just lean my bike against that edge. And you just let yours over the edge real light. And it should just land right on mine and just roll right out the bottom and everything will be okay. We'll just push it back home. We'll get you started when you're down in the bottom. So I said, all right. So he rides around there, leans his bike against the ledge. And I try to let mine over as close as I can. It didn't even come close to touching his bike. That thing went end over end down through the rocks, (laughs) broke the handlebars off of it, broke the subframe. (laughs) But we ended up getting it back home and I called Frank and told him that I'd wrecked the bike. So... He came and got the bike, got it fixed for me. But yeah, that's one of Dave's great ideas. You just let it off of there. That's right. Sorry, Dave. We'll have to get you back on to tell some stories about Rob. And you can sing for us. Yeah.
Uh, all right, well, uh, what other racing did you do? Uh, just enduro, enduro cross we did yeah i did a couple of enduro cross in vegas um so i told you guys before we were i was racing trying to qualify for the saturday event and i was actually leading i had to win the race and it would have qualified me to get into saturday's race and uh looked back and i could see what i thought was second another guy on a 450 and he was quite a ways behind we were on the last lap and i thought oh I've got it. Just stay calm and you'll make it. And before I know it, one of the trials bikes passed me and he ended up winning it and I couldn't get back by him. But that was the first trials bike in the Enduro Cross and he passed me to qualify for Saturday's event. But that was my experience racing in the Enduro Cross. That's unfortunate. Yeah, I, I was probably in the stands at that one. And I remember these these trials bikes came out and I just didn't think that was fair but now they're in their own class yeah and i didn't know they'd gone to their own class it's been so long since i've even watched an enduro cross doing it still but i don't think they do it in vegas anymore i think they have a series somewhere else but the last time i went at the orleans the charles bike had their own class so so i did a couple of hair scrambles national hair scrambles they had one come to Arizona. I can't remember. It was down by Phoenix somewhere. I can't remember. One of the little towns there. The reason I remembered it, it was the weekend after that race, after that Enduro Cross. And we went down to race that. And it's kind of a funny story getting down there. I was going down with Bert Bradford and his dad, Randall Bradford, took us to every race. He was a huge supporter for us racing too. But for some reason, we had to drive all night to get there. So they picked me up like at midnight in St. George. We drove all night, got to Phoenix like 5 o'clock in the morning. Can't check into our motel until 2 o'clock that afternoon, so we had nothing to do all day long. <laughs> but that was my first hair scramble. And uh, Robbie, I can't remember his name. He was from Ohio. He rode for KTM. Robbie something. But he was leading it, and I was in second. And second lap... I think we were going to end up doing three laps. It was a timed race. I think we were going to end up doing three laps. And we were on the second lap, and we were getting into lappers, and we came up a hill, and Robbie had stopped on the hill in front of me because it was lined with lappers and trying to figure out how to get around them. So I pulled up and stopped behind him, and about as I stopped, he took off and found a way up around him. So I was trying to figure out how to get around guys scattered around, and I was stopped there. And right, right after I took off, I was just about to take off. I think it was one of the Garahans. I think he was riding a Suzuki at that time. He pulled up behind me and a lapper came up behind him and I heard him yelling and I just took off and went up and ended up coming into the pit and they stopped the race at the pit and Gar or Robbie from Ohio was leading it. I was in second. Garahan would have been in third. But they said, I'm not sure this is what happened but they said that when he came up and stopped behind me the lapper came up behind him and hit the back of his leg and it broke his leg under his foot peg mm -hmm. smashed his leg under his foot peg and, and broke that's what you heard yelling that's what i heard i heard him scream from that oh. they ended up having to take a helicopter in and life flighting him out of it and then when they restarted us they didn't restart us by position they started us in rows like the top 20 
went all at once and uh ricky dietrich ended up winning it mm-hmm. and ricky dietrich was running like sixth or seventh at the time we finished those first two laps and wow. benefited and from the restart big time and i didn't i ended up finishing like ninth or tenth and mm-hmm. it just i was so wore out by the time i was by the time they restarted us i just knew i didn't have it in me to compete with those guys again so um any other series you did um you ever do any works racing i did a few works races didn't didn't care for the works races so i didn't hit very many of them we'd I did one in particular I remember out at Price, and you guys need Dave back on. I'll have him tell you that story because I'm not telling it because it doesn't look good at all for me. So. <laughs> well, there's your chance, Dave, to come back and uh, get back at Rob. Uh, I, did, I did that, and then there was a series out of Phoenix that came to Page a couple of times, and they had a like a Grand Prix-style race, and they would put up a little bit of money to win those races. So I, I went to a few of those and I can't remember what the name of that series was, but. Hmm. So did you ever win the Utah, kind of the Utah state title? I did. How, how many times and kind of what era, what years were you winning? So that? I'm not sure how many times I did. I don't, I don't remember how many times and I won it overall. that's the USRA series? Yeah, that series. Um, it would have been... 2001 to 2006, seven in there. I won it a few times. I don't know. I may have won it all those years. I can't remember for sure, but (laughs) I won it a few times. So 2001 was when I won my first overall. And that was at the, it's called the Dubinky still run. They used to run it back in the seventies and it was over by Moab and it was in kind of a controversial area to have a off-road race. So they actually shut it down in the 70s, 80s, and they opened it back up in 2001, and I think that's the only year they were able to open it back up. And Mm -hmm. that was my first overall. I actually, Greg Zitterkoff was leading it, and I ended up passing him and beating him, winning it over him, which I felt pretty good about because I knew who Greg Zitterkoff was, and that was pretty good for me to be able to beat him in a race, but... Cool. Very cool. So who did you look up to? Um, you know, who was someone that you looked up to during your racing career and or was a you know kind of a mentor for you? Um probably the guy that I watched the most and thought about with racing the most is probably Dustin Hedman. He's a Utah guy from Salt Lake just super fast and his dad always said Dustin wishes he just had no luck he doesn't want good luck or bad luck he just wants no luck (laughs) because he would break down more than anybody I know but man he was uh, in my opinion I think he's one of the fastest off-road riders ever kind of a a winner break yeah yeah and he was man when he would win a race it was by like 15 minutes and and he would just tell you I'll break the bike trying to win. I want to win or I don't. It kind of sounds bad. I want to win or not finish. But 
he would never give up because he wasn't winning, but he would break or do whatever it took to win. Yeah, yeah, and he was just. Well, Bert Bradford bought one of his bikes back in the '90s, and this was before I was racing. It was a, I think it was a Husky 250, and Bert was getting it set up for him, and he said that they pulled the forks apart, and Dustin had cut three inches of PVC pipe and compressed his fork springs to make it stiffer because he couldn't get stiff enough fork springs for his bike. Holy cow! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've heard a lot of stories that they would do back back then to modify bikes. Yeah just crazy crazy the things that they've done in the past that i guess we take for granted now because you could buy a bike off the showroom floor and they're pretty much set up ready to go yeah almost every bike i raced was basically stock tad that owned pro cycle would do a little bit of suspension stuff to me to it i would never do any motor stuff they were I always thought they were plenty fast. I didn't need any motor work. I couldn't hang on to so them. So it was so. all skill. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know. I raced uh, the Alamo to Cali Andy one year, and Dave Pearson shows up on an old YZ250. This had to be pretty early because he was on a YZ250. It was before his Kawasaki days, and he didn't have any oil for it. So he went down and bought a... Uh, chainsaw bar oil and put in the gearbox because he didn't have any gearbox oil yep Yep. and we waited on the starting line forever because cows got on the course and ate all the markings and stuff i raced that race did you yeah so dave ended up getting a better start than me i was on a 525 or 520 whatever it was back at that time and he ended up getting a better start than me and ended up leading and i was in second and we're coming down the power lines in Del Mar, mm-hmm. and there was an alternate pit there. And Dave had to stop at the alternate, and I didn't. So we left the pit, him just barely in front of me, coming up over Cali Andy Summit to the finish. And uh, he blew a corner, and I was close enough to him that I followed him right up a hill through the sagebrush, back down onto the course. And we still talk about it all the time. <laughs> if I would have been back another 100 yards... I could have passed him because I had seen the corner, but I was just right on him. But it was muddy, and there was some snow on the course up over the summit. Mm-hmm. And he ended up beating me by 10, 15 seconds at the finish, but that was a fun race on a bike with chainsaw bar oil <laughs> in the gearbox. <laughs> there you go. If you don't have any oil, just grab some, some chainsaw oil. And run it. Yeah, I remember sitting on the starting line for hours for hours since the cows had ate all the course markings yep. it was yucca chucka race and uh i also remember almost to the finish line when you come out of the canyon into Caliani, i come up on a guy and he'd crashed and he ended up losing a finger oh and my brother and son were chasing me so they were sitting right there waiting for me to come out of the canyon and we were probably two miles from the finish line and he's laying there and i see a sheet over him i'm like oh no but i guess he went into shock but my brother was the first one to him and actually ran out and found his glove and the finger was still in it oh my gosh and he was a kid from arizona i don't remember his name but i think that was he was done racing after that but kind of like seeing those things out there but it's crazy so i remember racing cali andy 
when they were doing the motocross track for part of it and a kid cased it or something and broke his wrist like his hand slid down through the both wrists yeah do you remember I that, remember that yeah. i remember that it was that was it <clears throat> hmm. i can't remember who it was i do but i don't was it trenholm huh ryan trenholm no maybe seems like maybe that rings a bell but i don't know anyway yeah i remember that that yeah, was, that was pretty rough, pretty gnarly. <laughs> yeah, I've always thought after that, do I really want wrap around hand guards? Exactly. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, got I think that made one. everybody question the wrap, <laughs> wrap around hand guards that bolted to you. Yeah, yeah. To both sides. Yeah, I got them on my bike now, first time ever, and and I was riding Ashley's bike in a works race, and she has them. My bike broke down, so I had to race her bike, and I remember going over the bars. And my arm went through, and it bruised it. I thought I broke it. I still run flag guards because of that. Yeah, yeah. it scares me. Guards, it yeah. scares me. But now I'm running them. I wanted to set my bike up just like Ashley, so in case we had to swap bikes. But at the same time, they've kind of saved my knuckles, except for the other day. I got a lot of little niche things that i do because of stuff like that like that i either saw or experienced in a race you know, yeah so I, I, okay like um i think i was an amateur maybe even a novice this is like 97 or 8 um raced the race here in panaca coming towards the sand dunes across some whoops and i crashed in the sand tipped over <clears throat> and it broke my handlebars snapped them but I had the crossbar, the crossbar member was still intact. So I, I just wedged it down and the crossbar gave it enough rigidity that I rode it. I mean, I was literally probably three to five miles from the finish. I rode it up over the sand dunes, off that gnarly hill, off the backside with broken handlebars. <laughs> Finished second place in that race, but um, I think I was leading it when I crashed, but uh, second place got me in the last three miles. But I still run the crossbar handlebars you know, I, that was a, a thing forever that I just ran those because of that, because of that very race. I broke a set of handlebars <laughs> off just in the Rhino Rally one year, just a simple tip over, and it just snapped it right off. I didn't have the crossbar, though. I was, you were done. It was the clutch side, <laughs> so I was able to get going and at least get back to okay. the pit. But, yeah. yeah. Speaking of that, I remember seeing Bill O'Hara, Wild Bill, <laughs> break his, and it was the throttle side. Yeah, mine was too. And, and he was completely off the bike, and here comes Bill holding on with one side and just waving the throttle up in the air like this and still racing. <laughs> that is phenomenal. <laughs> I, I got a couple of Bill O'Hara stories, but he's one of my <laughs> idols. But uh, anyway, um, good stuff. Well, let's take a quick break. Yeah. We'll uh, pay some bills, and we'll be right back. And listen to this voicemail we got for our next episode, and then we'll talk about that when we come back a little bit after the voicemail. Hey, guys, you got a dog? Give him something to do while you're out riding. Pick up an organic antler chew from Throw Me a Bone. They have nine essential nutrients and minerals that a dog needs. They won't splinter or stink like other chews on the market. Go check them out at theantlerchew.com. It's simple. Order some antler chews and go ride. Your dog will love you. For 10% off, type in the promo code, the Desert Dirt Biker. Cool. Hey guys, it's now time for the tip of the show brought to you by Throw Me a Bone. 
<laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your pre-ride checklist, check prep, bike prep. Um, first off, let's talk about your bike. Before you go out on a ride, you need to take a little time and check your bike out. Whether it's uh, oil, gas, air filter, oil filter, you need to keep up on that. It's always a good idea to put an hour meter on your bike and set a, set a time that you're going to always change your oil. Personally, we're out here in the desert. We like to clean your air filter every ride. Uh, everybody's different, but with all the dust we have, that's pretty crucial and pretty important. And make sure you're doing it right. Clean it. I always clean it. And if I run it through hot soapy water or through the faucet, I run it from the inside out so it takes the dirt out. And of course you dry it overnight, preferably. Spray it with the oil or use the, uh, Eric, what's that stuff called you do? The, the purple, blue. So yeah, I, I use the twin air oil filter. Yeah, that stuff. <laughs> and it, it's the liquid type, not out of the aerosol can. I prefer this stuff out of liquid bottle so. and everybody has a different preferences but no matter what try to clean your air filter that that's pretty big make sure you grease the the rims when you put it back in uh get a good seal it's it's pretty crucial keep up on your oil changes uh, run uh whatever your bike calls for or whatever you prefer best for your for your oil check your tires tire pressure run heavy-duty tubes uh, or the nitro mousse if you choose to do that, but make sure you keep up on tires, good tires. You always want your bike in top running shape. And of course, you always want to show up to a race clean. It's uh, pretty much one of the BLM requirements nowadays in the desert to come show up with a clean bike. Uh, just make sure you have your bike ready to go. You don't want to be out on the course or out on your ride a couple miles in and you break down because of something you neglected to check. It's probably a good idea to always check your bolts, nuts, and everything periodically also. Yeah, for, for me, um, if, what works best is just get into a routine of, you know, good maintenance, bike maintenance and prep before you go. Um, I like to do a lot of my stuff you know, in the downtime, if I know I'm going to go for a ride within the next few days, you know, I try to get out there in the garage one night and just go through my routine and uh, check everything, oil everything. But whatever works for you, get your routine down and just kind of make that your, your once over. And don't forget your gas. <laughs> uh, all right. That's pretty much on your bike. Let's, let's talk about your gear and your personal protective. Um, it's always a good idea to check your gear bag before you leave. There was, uh, when my nephew was young, he had a checklist that he had like a keychain and it was laminated and he had it on the strap of his gear bag and he could go through that list and just see if everything was in the bag. And that's, that's a pretty awesome idea. I know for me, every time I leave the house, I'm... I'm a nervous wreck because I feel like I've forgot something and I, I run through the house four or five times just looking and, and I usually have it, but 
I always feel like I'm forgetting something. So that checklist is, is pretty cool. So you want to make, make sure you have your boots, uh, knee pads, or braces, whichever you wear. Pretty crucial to have your knee pads on. I forgot my knee pads one time, and just so happened that I crashed my bike. I was out GPS on a race course, and I have a big old gnarly scar on my knee to this day because I didn't have my knee braces or my knee pads. You want to wear your, your pants and your jersey and gloves. I had a friend I rode with this weekend up in Duck Creek, Utah. Wears a jersey, helmet, gloves, chest protector, everything. But he still wears blue jeans. <laughs> I think I got him talked into ordering a pair of, pair of pants. We kind of beat him up pretty good. Anyways, um, and your helmet, your goggles, uh, lenses, tear-offs. We talked about that in the last couple episodes. And your water. Always try to carry water on you. I'm. We've talked about that, hydration. Um, other than that, just make sure you go through and everything before you, you get out because you spend the time to load up and get out to where you're going riding or to race and you have forgot your helmet or something. That you don't want to ruin your day. Um, anything else on that note, Eric? No, yeah, just... Uh... Make sure you got all your stuff, like you said, double check and just visually check, make sure it's there because you might think you left it in a gear bag and you forgot you took it in and washed it. You get out there and you don't have, you know, your gloves or you don't have your helmet. And Rob talked about that a little bit with him so. and Dave. So it was, it was pretty funny. Um, anyways, on that note, don't forget to check out Throw Me a Bone. And let's get back in with the program. Hey, this is Cody Wallace. Tune in next time while I talk with Corndog and Eric about growing up racing dirt bikes in the desert and how that led me to starting a company. All right, we are back. Yes, you heard it right. Cody Wallace will be joining us on episode seven next week. Cody Wallace is a friend of ours, a local racer here that has grown up racing and um he has moved back east now started a a uh, glove business mostly for mountain bikes but hand up gloves if you've heard of them so we're excited to hear his story if you have any questions for cody or for eric and i corndog uh email us at the email the desert dirt biker at gmail.com or message us on facebook kd eric or on Instagram, the Desert Dirt Biker. And now, back with the fastest racer you've never heard of, Rob Phillips. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I only say that because somebody introduced him in a race like that before, so I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so, Rob, it's true that you've won six times at the, the Rhino Rally. Um, Utah's USRA, probably their largest race. Um, who was probably your stiffest competition during those years? Um, Dustin Hedman was really fast. The first year I won the Rhino Rally, he actually led the race for most of the race. We got into some really silty stuff and he ended up sucking some dirt into the bike and ended up breaking down so i kind of lucked into my 
first win at that race and it was actually a big race to win we had a good friend of ours that was killed in a motorcycle accident the week before at a moran race he went down and ended up dying and i think it was two weeks before that he was killed and his um funeral was the weekend before the rhino rally and he was really big into desert racing and loved the rhino rally so he was from st george it was kind of cool to be able to win that yeah cool yeah it was really neat but yeah, I just kind of lucked into my first win there, and Dustin was always way fast there. The second year I ended up winning it, I ended up getting the whole shot, and Dustin was second behind me, and I led him for almost the whole first lap, and he ended up having bike problems again. He ended up getting a flat tire or something and dropping out of the race. But other than Dustin, uh, TJ Hannafin from Eureka, Utah, he was really a fast USRA rider and a pretty good national rider. He he finished uh, second behind Dave at Cherry Creek one year at the National Heron Hound. So, and if you talk to Dave about that race, he said TJ was out riding him that day. TJ deserved the win. I don't remember the exact details, but it must have been a pretty good race. So... And then, uh, so you raced National Heron Hound, you raced that series for a few years. Um, tell us, tell us about your National Heron Hound experience and so how that went. In 03 and 04, I was the, I was number five overall in the Heron Hounds and I, 04, I was the number one 250 mm-hmm. champion, so... There was a lot of good racing. I was just telling him a story at the break about we raced Terriblestown one time and Bert happened to be in New York, who I usually team up with. And so I Ironman the Terriblestown and then we drove that night, got down to Lucerne Saturday night pretty late and we pulled into a parking spot. I didn't tell you guys this part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> pulled into a spot and my father-in-law had his motor home there and we had a trailer. So we pulled in and parked there and I have young kids at the time, and uh, next morning we get up and we're sitting out in the lawn chairs, kind of just hanging out, and the guy next door pulls up on his KX500 with just motorcycle boots on, nothing else at all, and he gets off and takes his boots off and puts his pants on, so my wife put all the kids back in the trailer, wouldn't let them out. Every time that guy would get on his bike and go for a ride, he'd strip down naked and put on his boots and head out. (laughs) So that's one of my good experiences from being in Lucerne. <laughs> I don't know if that's that good. <laughs> a good story, anyway. Good story, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, in your twenties, you got all that, and you finally hit the age of thirty, and I think you got a a championship in the over thirty class. I did. I got. I was the over thirty champion in the national heron hounds in 07 so then after 07 i raced a couple of races in 08 and just kind of just went back to riding for fun and actually kind of fell away from riding for quite a few years and we're getting back into it now we've been back into it for a few years i got got a side by side a few years ago and did some races in the side by side that was a lot of fun. Very tell, expensive. Tell us a little bit about that. So, 
um, with age comes a cage. So, <laughs> what what were you racing? What what uh, series and and what type of car? So I ra- I raced a Turbo Razor. It was a sixteen. We bought one the first year they came out. My dad really loved going to the races, and so he went and got us a, a buggy and got it set up for us. And we only raced a few races. We went up to the Knolls in Utah to a USRA race and. I'd only drove the car once before this race and we I just told him I was going for a trail ride and that all ends when the banner goes up. It's not a trail ride as soon as the banner goes up and you're ready to start. So we went after it pretty good. They made us do a dead engine. The car wouldn't start very good. We were the last one off the line, but we were the second one through the banner. And within a mile, we were in the lead. We led it through the first lap and about halfway through the second lap we burned up the belt in it and we were amateurs didn't know what we were doing so we didn't even have a spare belt in the car <laughs> so and i was racing with my cell phone so i was able to call and they came out and got us and pulled us back into the pit and that was the end of our first race and then we did well we did a usra race in mesquite and same problem we led it for two laps it was like a four lap race we had a good lead i still didn't know how to keep the car together obviously and we (laughs) burned the belt out of it on the second lap and we found out later that there was a washer or something in the belt that was causing it to rub harder and it it was burning up the belts quicker so we got that problem fixed and we came out and raced a snore race in caliandi and we were the first utv off the line the 90th car to start and we had a good race going we came in the end of the first lap i can't it was 60 mile loops or something 70 mile loops came in the end of the first lap and we had a a really good lead on the other utvs went out on the second lap at the alternate gas they told us that we were doing really well so I don't know how good we were doing. I think we were pretty close to overall on time. And coming down the summit into the pit at the end of the second lap, a four-lap race again, we were about 130 miles into it. There was one spot we caught it on the first loop, and I wasn't expecting it on the second loop. We come out of a wash and jumped and hit the back tire against a tree root, and it snapped the back axle on the car. And so we came into the pit and took him a while to find out what the problem was they kept telling me you're fine you're fine and uh i can't think of his name goobler colton 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 came up and was talking to me through the net and i told colton something's wrong with the car on the driver's side back in and he went back there and looked and noticed the axle was broke on it so they asked me they said we can fix the we can pull the axle you can run it on three i said nope i was it was hot and I was tired. I was, <laughs> I was kind of happy we broke, but we did that race and I think that's. Did we do another race in the car? I can't remember if we did another race or not in the car, but we just got rid of it a few months ago. So we'll see. Maybe someday we'll get another one and try it again. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a there's a learning curve to that too, and you know, I mean. It's, the type of racing, there's you got to work somewhere. the kinks yeah. out, and yeah, it's curve, easy but. to drive it fast, but. To drive it fast and keep it together is a different story. Yeah, Rob took me for a couple rides, and he's a good driver. But and you get to go uh, ride with every car. It's fun. <laughs> so, um, back to the dirt bike. 
When was your last dirt bike race? Dave and I teamed up and did the Vegas Torino in 2011. And I think, I can't remember if it was that one or they had their race out to the ranch, the Camp Valley Cowboys race. And Dave and I teamed up and did the team race in that. And it was, we just kind of screwed around. We didn't really race. But last race that we were serious about was the Vegas Torino in 2011. How'd you guys do in that race? We did all right. Of course, we always want to win, but we, uh, so we drew like fourth or fifth starting position and Dave was starting and he was going to bring it to pit three where I was going to get on. He came into pit three and he had passed everybody but the leader and he was in their dust. So he said to me, he said, I'm going to take it to four and see if I can get the leader. You can get on at four. So I was waiting at four. And Shane Esposito came in and Shane, David already passed Shane. And so Esposito came in and then it was like eight or nine minutes and we could finally see dust from the second place bike coming in. It was Dave coming in. So Dave had caught the leader and what we think happened is he was in the leader's dust and the leader, as Dave was passing him, the course turned and Dave didn't see the turn and kept going straight. He actually had to go out to the highway and bum gas off of a car going by and then get back on course and bring it into the pit. So we were down close to 10 minutes at pit four. I got on the bike and rode two sections and made up a few minutes on them. Throughout the day, we made up time and then Dave was supposed to take it to 15, pit 15, and I got stuck in road construction going up to pit 15. And so we... In the chase truck. In the chase truck. <laughs> so when we got to pit 15, Dave was just leaving the pit and crossing the highway. And I had my gear on because I knew it was going to be close. So I jumped out and Dave just gave me a thumbs up as he crossed the road. I found out later he was nervous that he was outside of the pits. And if we would have switched riders, we would have been disqualified. So Dave had been on the bike for almost 200 miles and hadn't had a drink of water. And this is in August. So, and he had caught up to Esposito pretty good. And I think we were leading them on time because I'm pretty sure they'd started in front of us and Dave laid it down. And mm. when he was picking up the bike, he was cramping and stuff and just brought it in. We ended up second place by a few minutes, but wow. it was a good race. That's still pretty good. That's a, that's so a race. yeah, Dave alluded to the fact that maybe, uh, Maybe in 2021. 10-year anniversary. 10-year anniversary for coming back to the Vegas Torino. Any truth to that? I don't know. <laughs> oh, come on, bud. It's been, <laughs> come on, bud. It's been talked about a little bit. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We're going to have to sweeten up the deal a little bit so get you guys out there. It'd be fun. I think I'm getting too old for it. Stop it. <laughs> he still wants to try to go for the overall, and if I race it, I definitely want to try to go for the overall, too. I just well, you got about a year and a half to train. It's going to take every bit of that or to get me in shape. Or would you guys run it this year? No, I don't think we're going to do it this year. I don't I don't know. Anything's possible with Dave. He could call me the week before and say we're doing it. I don't know. Right? <laughs> um. That would be good to see. I, I I hope it happens. I'll come chase with you guys. It would be fun. It'd be it'd be a lot of fun to do it again. So you said you're getting back into bikes a little bit, riding and stuff. I mean, <clears throat> your kids all ride. Um, what what are you riding now? What bike do you got? And what have you been doing? So I just bought a a Husky 450 
from my brother. He bought a brand new one, so I bought his. And I've been riding with my kids a little bit on that, but I don't plan on really racing anything, but maybe. Um, I've got a Husky 701 adventure bike, and that's kind of what I'm enjoying right now is doing the adventure ridings in my years of racing i got in with rocky mountain atv mc really well i got to know those guys really well and a couple of years ago at the rhino rally i was at sign ups and eric nelson at rocky mountain mc was there signing up and he says why don't you buy an adventure bike and come and do some of these adventure rides with us so that next year i ended up buying that bike not too long after and that next year he called me and asked me if i wanted to do their hooked on phoenix ride so you can get on their youtube channel and they have all these rides on youtube shows where they camp you can get their gps coordinates and follow their same loops but we ended up going down there and uh the owner of the company and the a couple of the top guys from there usually go with us and they're just really good guys and the rides are awesome you you guys ought to look at their YouTube stuff. And yeah. they do some rides through Nevada. We planned a ride in March. We were going to leave here from Panaka and go do a ride around the test site and spend a few days. We were going to go down into Death Valley and some of that stuff. And this coronavirus kind of right. shut it down. So right. yeah. we're hoping to get it planned and do it sometime. Cool. So the the ride to Phoenix, you guys ride down there and go to the Supercross and make kind of a we do big loop out of it, yeah. Yeah, so we leave on a Thursday morning from Mesquite, and we ride down and we usually stay just outside of Laughlin. We pack everything on the bikes. We pack our tents and our sleeping bags and our food. So you're not hitting hotels. You're no, camping out. we camp out cool. on the ground. So that sounds fun. Sounds yeah. Yeah, fun. I might have a new goal. <laughs> <laughs> so we just. You have to stop every day for gas. So you're going to a gas station. Sure. So we usually pack some food, and then when we stop at a gas station, we get some food, you know, to for camp that night for breakfast the next morning. But, yeah, we just we put up tents and camp out, and we stay just outside of Laughlin. And then the next morning we go down through Laughlin and over towards uh, Kingman. And then we go down to Alamo Lake, it's called, and we camp right there at Alamo Lake. This is pretty much all trail or dirt road? We do as much dirt road as we can, trails and dirt roads. So I got a a buddy that Dave and I met down in Baja when we were down there. Um, These guys actually ride down from Arizona, and they ride down to, you know, to San Felipe and Ensenada, and then they ride all the way down the peninsula. And they do this almost every year. Um, but he's from Canada and just, you know, adventure touring, just checking things out. And I just, I think it, you know, I'm getting to that age where I, I think it'd be fun. Oh, it's... When you're younger, you just want to race. But as yeah. you get older, you, you really want to just see the, you know, see the terrain and the, the areas on a bike yeah it's like seeing it on two wheels it's unbelievable just like this road down to alamo lake that we take i I don't know how long it is it's got to be 40 miles 50 miles of a bladed dirt road but it's just washboarded out it's stuff you would never go see if you didn't if you weren't on a bike you're not going to ride down that road in a car just to see it and then we end up going around the lake on some just some like four-wheeler trails stuff 
this year when we ended up crossing the lake, there was, we crossed where the little stream comes into it. And it's not usually much of a stream this year. It was a stream and we, there's actually a video of it. Rocky mountain has put it on their little Instagram stories and stuff. But we actually, when we were crossing it, one of the kids Wes pulled out on there and he's riding a CR 450 L and he rode out onto the sand and we were all worried about it cause it was so wet he parked out there just by where the water was really running and Justin pulls out and he's on a KTM 500. He pulled out there. So I pulled out next to him on my 701 and Justin says, are you going to go for it? And I said, are you going to help me out if I don't make it? Oh yeah, we'll help you. So I just went for it, ended up making it through and the other two smaller bikes made it through fine. There was another kid, Shane on a 701 and he made it through fine. Well, Eric's on a 790 and it's heavy. I mean, my 701 is heavy compared to a race bike, but it's right. still a fun bike. That 790 is just big, and he's running the stock tires on it. Uh, Rocky Mountain makes their own adventure tires, their Tusk tires, and they're great. We do a lot of testing on them and stuff, but he, they hadn't got a tire and a rim set up for that 790 yet. So we get to the other side, and we video Eric coming across it. Well, he forgets to turn off his traction control. Then hits into the water and the bike starts bogging and he's, we thought we were going to end up digging him out, but he made it through. It's a pretty good video of him getting through there. But yeah, so we get down to the race on Saturday and just hang out at the pits, get to go hang out at the Rocky Mountain trailer and meet the riders and stuff like that. And then we end up turning around and coming home Sunday morning. We head back and make it back as far as we can, usually camp just out of Kingman and then on back Monday all the way back to Mesquite. So. Sounds fun. That sounds really fun. How many of there are usually in your party that go? Um, this year we had five. Last year there was eight or nine. Uh, Landon that owns Seat Concepts, he went with us last year. He's a pretty cool guy, makes a good product. He has, yeah. He's fun. He's, <laughs> he's a lot of fun to go out and camp with and stuff. But Rocky Mountain, they test all of their stuff so on all these trips we're testing luggage and tires and and their their tusk adventure luggage that's what i run on my bike i think last time i checked they had their saddle bags on there for under 200 bucks and i mean if you go to the wolfman bags you're going to be 500 bucks mm -hmm. for the bags that would be comparable to these and these are just i mean it's just like all of rocky mountain stuff they do they try to make the best product they can for the best price. Testing the tires last year when we went down, uh, we ran a couple other tires, which tires they thought were the best brand and the best setup for the adventure riding. And we were testing the Tusk tires and we were comparing the two. And they told me on the way down there that they want their tire better than what they think the best tire is. And then they sell it for less money. So people that think when you're buying a Tusk product that you're buying something that's cheap, they've actually tested it and think it's better than the best product out there. So yeah, cool. I, my experience with Tusk, I mean, I've used a lot of their products and, and for the price, it's, it's usually very quality stuff. So yeah, yeah. I've been happy with most of all their stuff. Yeah. We've been so. testing their adventure gear and stuff. I mean, we came through a rainstorm on the way home from Kingman up to Laughlin. It just downpoured on us, and 
we're in their adventure gear and not a drop of water on us you know yeah. they have bending all figured out it's because those guys ride with it all the time they know where to put the vents to get the air to move through it they know you know they that's what they do yeah. so i think we need to go get an adventure bike eric yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's on my bucket list all right um so when you're on a bike whether you're racing adventure bike enduro cross what do you think about when you're out there racing does your mind wander? Are you totally focused on the race? Well, it, it depends. If I'm racing, yeah, it's trying to concentrate on the race. Adventure riding, it's just fun. I mean, we battle. Like I said, on some of their videos, they have some helmet cam videos of us racing with all of our luggage on and stuff. So at that time, yeah, I'm concentrating on how to go fast. But other times on the adventure bike, that's the nice thing. We're just seeing the country. We still get down the road pretty good but you're just seeing the country when dave and i would do some riding schools and stuff the mental part of it was a big part of our riding schools concentrating and you think about how many turns there is in a desert race if you can shave a quarter of a second in every turn how much time you're going to make up throughout a race a quarter of a second's not that much and just concentrating on taking that turn and am i going as fast as i can you can do it so yeah, concentration's huge when you're racing. <laughs> and the reason I ask that, and I've been meaning to ask the other guests, but when my son was little racing, that became a topic. Yeah, I don't know, he was eight, nine, ten, something like that. And his name's Chris. And I asked him, what do, what do you think about? <laughs> and he said, I just repeat, earth to Chris, earth to Chris the whole way. <laughs> Thought that was funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what What about you, Corn Dog? What do you think about when you race? I mean, how's your mind going? I'm pretty vocal. I I'm screaming and yelling every checkpoint. I, I like you I'm talk out there. to yourself though, oh, or just always, yeah. Just, Coaching yourself or just BSing? Everything. <laughs> every person I see out there, I I'm yelling and screaming if I'm having a good time. Um, I'm happy, and most of the time I'm out there to have a good time. Of course, I'm racing, but um, I'm always yelling at the checkpoints, or if I see another rider, either I'm passing them or they're passing me, I'm like encouraging them. I'm just yelling. I, I wore a GoPro once of Ashley's, and I was <laughs> yelling and screaming the whole way. Just, I don't know. I'm crazy anyway, but I would I talk to myself when I'm riding, so I've never rode with a GoPro because of it. I don't want people listening to me. So yeah, I do too. I, I so I focus pretty good for a while, and then I'll start to notice myself kind of <clears throat> losing focus, and so then I'll self coach. All right, you know, stay focused, hit your marks. Yeah, ride smart. You know, just all the little things that you need in your mind while you're doing that i try to talk to myself too yeah because so. being on the bike for a couple hours you lose concentration yeah get yeah. daydreaming you know i remember when my dad was racing with us and he'd always come in at the finish oh did you see that my dad's a prospector but he'd did you see that old mine up there did you see that old head frame it's like i didn't see anything nope. i saw the course right in front of me and that's it i get upset at myself sometimes because i want to sightsee but you're in race <laughs> mode you gotta race and my brother does the same thing he's like 
remember that tree we passed and you turned left and there was that rock there? I'm like, how do you even remember that? Yeah. He can remember everything. Yeah. But, I have friends like that, Bert Bradford that I talked about. He's, he'll remember stuff from races even now when we sit down. Do you remember this from that race? I don't even remember the race, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, I'll be driving down the highway with my brother. He was like, back in 1992 or whatever, down there there was that cactus and we raced right through there. <laughs> there was a race there? <laughs> yeah. That's how he is, so. Anyways, that was just kind of a fun little deal to ask. Uh, when you're not on a bike, what do you do for fun? Uh, we spend a lot of time out in the hills. Our our whole family likes to hunt a lot, camp a lot, ride the side-by-side, -side, so we spend a lot of time doing things like that. We own a plumbing company, so we spend a lot of time working. All of my kids work with me and spend a lot of time doing that but for fun mostly hunting nice. doing stuff like that dave's really got into hunting lately so him and i go hunting quite a bit together yeah very cool what's on what's left on your bucket list as far as bikes and riding anything more adventure rides. Yeah, 2021 Vegas Arena with Dave Pearson. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but maybe. Is that, is that at the bottom of the bucket? Uh, that's at the very bottom. But <laughs> no, I want to do more of these adventure rides. They see such neat country. There is so much country to see that you'll never see on a, in a car. You know, yeah. Yeah. There's just so many places to go see. And you can get there so fast on a motorcycle. Yep. And the adventure, you know... They said the first time they went, they were planning on staying in motels. They said they never made it to the motels. They, <laughs> you could never stay on time. So mm -hmm. if you pack your stuff, you just camp wherever you want, go wherever you want, you know. That sounds so fun. You just have to make sure you have enough fuel. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you get out in Nevada. Find your fuel stops appropriately. Cause... Yeah. On one of their rides they do, they leave from up in Lund and go over and their next gas, I think, like is... Like Lund, Nevada? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And their next gas is in Round Mountain. And so you, they've got to be able to do like 250 miles on a tank. My 701 on a stock tank will only do about 130. So I put a new tank that replaces the air box. And so I've got an extra gallon and a half. So I think I can get 200 now. So Nice. So out of all the racing you've done, what's been your favorite type of racing? Is it the long, best in the desert, Vegas, Reno? Was it... Uh... Uh, the Rhino Rally, was it the Enduro Cross? What, what's your favorite? Well, my favorite race ever is the Rhino Rally, for sure. But that's just because it's my hometown race. So, And won it 16 billion times. <laughs> won it six times in a row. I was the first person from southern Utah to ever win it. So, uh -huh. cool. It's been going since 1983, so it was quite a few years before I won it. And I won it six years in a row. Skylar Howe's... Ended up winning it five years in a row, trying to break my record, and didn't quite do it. And nice. right now, Josh Knight just won it his third year in a row, and Josh is a really good kid, fast rider, young. He just got a. He just got married. They're having a. I guess they're having their first baby here pretty soon. So, very talented rider. Very cool. Well, they and got so, big shoes to fill to try and break it, right? <laughs> uh, he could do it. He's yeah. he's, he's good. A good rider, yeah. He's a really good rider. Hmm. 
And so was Skyler. Um, yeah, sure. Of course, Skyler just did Dakar and did very well. Yep. Uh, Skyler overalled one of my ground shakers races one year. Did he? So. Yeah, I've known. So Skyler's dad was president of the Wizards oh, okay. Motorcycle Club, the Rhino Rally. <laughs> he was for years, and so that's how I got to know Skyler is through his dad because from racing the race, I got to know his dad pretty well. His dad's a really good guy, really neat guy. So <laughs> Skyler used to come to some of mine and Dave's riding schools when he was a little kid. So mm, cool. Yeah. So talking about USRA and the Rhino Rally, tell us a little bit about USRA. It, I know we always talk Moran. We talked a little bit about it a little earlier, but it's basically set up like Moran or it, it is it's it's basically the same as Moran there's every race is different clubs some clubs put on a couple of races a year it's set up the same as Moran it's got a sanctioning body that meets once a month yeah members from each club yep how many clubs are in USRA I don't know there's quite a few, there's quite a few of them yeah I pulled up the list uh, a couple of weeks ago and it it looked like there was Quite a few, like... And that's the whole more. state of Utah, right? It is the whole state. Okay. Utah's a little bit different because it has I-15 that goes all the way up the center of the state. So, mm. you know, you're talking from, yeah, from St. George to get to Salt Lake, you're only four hours or something like that. Where in Nevada to get from here to Reno, it seems like you're all day long, you know. Yeah. So they have, USRA has a lot of really good races, a lot of different terrain seems like to me moran was more just desert stuff i mean your rocks your sagebrush stuff like that Poof dirt, sand Poof, yeah some sand washes some fun stuff but uh usra gets a lot more trees you know they even have some races up in the red rocks that are really fun mm -hmm. they do a couple of races on private ground that's all single track stuff that's really fun stuff they do have some really good races some good variety doing a USRA series about how many races was in a in a season um estimating I want to say that we did 14 the one year for some reason that's in my mind is right around 14 so somewhere in that it's area pretty good. and it's January to December basically yeah yeah basically the Rhino Rally used to be the starting race which is always the last weekend in February and then uh, the Buzzards started putting on a race in Mesquite in January. So that's our first race of the year and then goes on from there. Usually during the summer, like June, July, they don't do anything. But they get a few of the Nationals. Cherry Creek and Sage Riders are a, few of the, a couple of the Nationals that they get. So what's your best advice for someone who wants to get into desert racing? I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, you just have to love to ride motorcycles. That's all it is. You just have to love to ride motorcycles and the love of the sport. It is, and that's that's the whole reason anybody does it. And you know, I used to dream of racing motorcycles when I was a kid. You know, I remember looking at magazines, looking at new bikes coming out, and thinking, "Man, someday I'm gonna." be able to go race and do stuff like that so it's it's just the love of racing it you know of riding it's in our blood right. yeah and the, you don't even necessarily have to race just start riding it'll eventually come you know and 
you have to push your limits if you're going to be fast, you know, but you got to be at the top of those limits, not over the top and end up hurting yourself. Be smart about it, yeah. Yeah, there's some definite risk there. Um, cool. What else, Dave? Or corn dog? <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, we're doing pretty good. This is one that Ashley always asks us. What What's your What would be your ideal race program? Format, team, unlimited style of budget, bike, unlimited budget. Just, Give us a little. Sample of that. I don't know. I, you know, as far as racing a motorcycle, I mean, I was, I was more than happy with the, everything that I did racing. So I've kind of done what I wanted to do racing motorcycles. Man, if I had an unlimited budget, I'd go buy a class one or a trophy truck and go <laughs> race that. You know, that sounds fun to me, but right. But as far as motorcycles, I don't know. I just I wouldn't do anything different than I'd already done. You know, Maybe I had you talk to, your wife into Baja. I I blame my wife for that. I don't know if it was all her, you know. <laughs> she didn't want me to. I know if I would have said I really want to go, she would have been okay with it. But I wanted to do it, but it was never real big on my list of things you I wanted to do. You always hear stories, but I don't know, talking to these guys lately, it seems like they're all good. Yeah. Unless you're Dave Pearson at 15 years old and <laughs> go to juvie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That would be my luck. Maybe I better not go. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I ever really care to go down there to race. So, adventure ride though down there would be. I would awesome. love an adventure ride down there. That would be. That would be fun. The, the, yeah, the country changes so much down there, and it's it is just. Honestly, I enjoy the pre-running as much as I do the racing down there, because like you were saying earlier, corn dog, you get to slow down and see stuff during the race. You're focused on the race and you're focused on what's in front of you, but um, pre-running, you know, you go down there for a week pre-running and you get to see everything. Yeah. And that's the that's the cool part. Like it's it's just a fun experience. So. So one thing I wish I would have done is we talked about the ATK. So Frank called me and asked me if I would take a couple of the bikes and go to Florida to go to Bike Week, and he wanted me to travel across the country and hit a GNCC and another race and then go down to bike week for the week and just have the bikes down there, you know, and promote it. Yeah. Promote their bikes and stuff. And like I said, at the first, when I started racing, I already had a son and was married and running a business. So at the time for me to take a couple of weeks off to go do this, I just told him I couldn't do it. And that's, that's something that I wish I could have done, but I'm happy with what we ended up being able to do anyways, you know. I had some opportunities to go ride with some guys that I looked up to as a kid that I thought were pretty neat guys. I had an opportunity to go ride with Malcolm Smith, and I turned it down because I had to work, you know. So, wow. you know, some stuff like that. Yep. Hmm. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah. Oh. Well been a good show we appreciate you coming on rob yeah uh, good time thank you 
And I uh, hope everybody enjoyed it. Again, check us out on the Desert Dirt Biker on Instagram. Uh, email us at thedesertdirtbiker at gmail.com. Um, and uh, give us a like on Facebook, Katie Eric. All right, guys, thanks. All right. Catch you next show. Thank you, and uh, stay tuned for what's coming up next.